Hello and welcome to Cutting In From The Left. I'm your host Tom Wise and I've got with me Louis Antonio Streeter. How are you doing mate? Uh, doing great, sweltering a little bit here. I've had to turn off the uh, the fan and close the window for the, for the sound, uh, so a little bit warm but apart from that doing well. Yeah, lovely day again. I hope this continues for the next month or so. There'll be plenty of beer gardens, plenty of big screens for us to watch the big festival of football that is about to start. This is going to be the Euro 2020 bracket one preview podcast. We're going to attempt to go through all the groups. We're going to attempt to say at least a sentence about, <laughs> about every team, even the likes of North Macedonia. Um, and so strap yourselves in because here we go. We will start with Group D. This is, of course, England, Scotland, Croatia and Czechia. Let's start with England. Uh, two pretty unenthusing warm-up games we've just had. Southgate played a back four in both games. We think he's going to probably play a back five. There'll obviously be a lot of players coming back into the squad when the tournament actually starts that didn't get a game in these friendlies. How are you feeling about England? Yeah, I don't think we can take too much from those friendlies, and I hope we can't, to be honest, um, because I feel like he was playing players who won't even be in the squad uh, for the actual Euros itself. Um, obviously, you can understand as well, players coming back, players who just played, for example, the Champions League final uh, with Manchester City and Chelsea, naturally not really available uh, much at the moment, especially for the first game and even for this game against Romania. Um, yeah, they were... Utterly uninspiring, apart from perhaps, I guess, Jack Grealish played quite well against Romania. I guess the most notable thing was, um, again, a group of England fans um, failed to uh, to cover themselves in glory uh, with their response to taking the knee. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, this, this kind of issue we've gone through before um, in terms of the racism issue. And look, I mean, if you're not acknowledging at this stage that there's a lot, not a large portion, but uh, certainly a significant portion of England fans who are, you know, let's face it, racist and we'll just use every opportunity to criticise black players in, in the socially acceptable way, which they can, you know, and in this case being framed as anti-Marxist, which is quite amusing to see Premier League footballers earning millions being framed as Marxist. Yeah, I mean, we, we can talk to that to, to death, um, but I guess just in this case, almost preferable to just ignore those uh, Neanderthals and, and focus on the football here. And, you know, I don't think it's really a reflection of England's play. Uh, those last games uh, expect them to be a lot better in the tournament to be honest yeah I think there was a lot of people who want to sort of play England down we've obviously one of them uh, sort of fan bases that is always thinking this is going to be the time this is when it's going to be coming home but I, I generally feel pretty pretty positive about this one uh, I like this group I've seen people try to sort of say that you know obviously Croatia with the team that knocked them out of the World Cup last time Scotland, it's like a massive rivalry. Anything could really happen there. And Czechia, they've obviously got a few lads in, in the Premier League this season who've had a really good year. But I feel quite positive about England's chances. Um, my only worry would be teams that sit behind sit, sit behind the ball. You know, they, they're happy to just like let England attack. I think if Southgate goes with, say, Rashford and Sterling, which is what we're dreading, I really think we would struggle to get in behind teams that just sit so deep. Uh, I think that's been sort of shown in the two in the two friendlies we've just had. So I do think, yeah, it will it will take a Grealish, it will take a Foden, it will take Mount to to sort of undo those sort of teams. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess we can we can go through a little bit in terms of the teams that we'll be facing uh, in Group D. Um, to be honest, I don't think there's a whole lot to fear there. Um, obviously, Croatia, I guess, would be the headline. I mean, their post-World Cup rebuild has been quite tough. Um, so we've got at least four members of their final starting 11 have retired. Um, for example, the likes of Rakitic, you know, obviously a really influential player for them. 
um, and others are kind of showing signs of age as well. Um, for example, like Sir Luka Modric, who was, you know, a standout player in that tournament. Um, there's a bit, a bit of a lack of chemistry in the squad as well, apparently, a bit of a rift between the older and younger players. I think Dejan Lovren's kind of spoken openly about that. And they lack really at this stage, perhaps without Mario Mandzukic, really a, a top-level striker who can can take it uh, to their next level and really build off some of their attacking play. I mean, look, they're very strong still in the midfield in particular. Uh, their attacking midfielders, their wingers, their centre midfielders uh, are very strong, really top-level players, like said Marcelo Brozovic. But to be honest, I think, and it might be a little bit of a litmus test, but if England can't beat Croatia, I feel that it will be a struggle for them to progress much further because I think at this stage, this is a Croatia team who are past the best, perhaps looking to the next phase. Um, I think, especially considering Croatia's issues at the back, I'd be very surprised if England don't have the capability to be able to put a couple of goals past them at least. Yeah, I think you're right. The the midfield is still pretty handy. Uh, Modric is obviously still a very good player. I think the we obviously saw him in the Champions League semi final recently, and he looked he did look as he was getting over the hill a little bit. Um, this is a team, like you say, that is on the way down. I think this might be the last tournament for a lot of these lads. Um, but yeah, as you say, I think England will really be fancying their chances in that one. Scotland, I think they're obviously very happy to be there. Their first major tournament since the 1998 World Cup. I think they've, they've got a decent team. I, I mean, McTominay had a really good season, especially at the end of the season. McGinn played really well for Villa. Um They've obviously got Tierney and Robert and Robertson, and they've managed to get them both in the team now uh, by playing Robertson at left wing back and having Tierney as a, another centre back. Grant Hanley, who I have to name drop, I've given him a lot of criticism in the past, but he was outstanding for Norwich this season. Um, and they finally got an actual goal scorer in Shea Adams, like managing to get him to to commit to playing for them. I think. Yeah, I think I think Scotland will be all right. I think they'll get through. How do you feel? I'm a little bit more down on Scotland, actually. Um, I do agree they have some strengths. I think um, McTominay's another player has been great this season. Um, he can play either at the back for them or in midfield. I do feel like Che Adams might be a little bit isolated up front. Um, and having seen kind of snippets of their friendlies and in general their performances throughout the qualifiers. I don't think they're going to be able to do a lot going forward. Um, I think they're a bit limited in terms of what they can offer with their width as well, especially on the right, uh, where they don't really have much established quality. And, you know, I don't think Steve Clark um, is doing anything wrong as a manager. I think he's playing to their strengths. But I feel like, for example, if you look at Czech Republic, um, they're also quite a, quite a hard-working team, a pressing team, who are very organised and, again, good at set pieces. Uh, but I think they've got a little bit more there than the likes of Scotland. I think that's epitomised by the likes of Thomas Suchek. Obviously had a great season for West Ham. Um, I feel like they have a bit more dynamism in the middle, perhaps. I think Patrick Schick do quite well for them up front. And I feel like both of them will be basically competing probably for third and fourth place. I think they're almost two quite similar teams in some ways. And they'll be depending a lot, I think, on on set pieces and those kind of moments in the game where they can kind of get out from their um, the defensive shape and really push forward quite quickly. To be honest, I didn't see either of them doing all that much. And I suspect it might even be a group where um, the third place team doesn't qualify. I feel like England and Croatia do just have that extra level of quality over those two teams to make it a little bit less of a contest. Um, I guess the wild card almost in that sense is the England-Scotland match because you never know, obviously, with such a big rivalry. Um, if that could uh, inspire Scottish players or something else. But to be honest, I didn't see the, the quality there for them to, to go much further. So sacrificing any of our listenership, nor for the border, <laughs> yeah, for, exactly. for, that, for that hot take. Would you fancy England to, to probably win that group, winning all three? Yeah, yeah if I'm going to stick my neck out, I'm going to say England first, Croatia second, Czech Republic third, and Scotland fourth. By the way, Homer, what's your least favourite country? Italy or France? France. <laughs> Nobody ever says Italy. Next, we'll move on to Group A, and where it all starts on Friday night in Rome with Italy versus Turkey. This Italy team is a very different Italy team to what we're used to. 
they're they're playing really well. They're on a 27 match unbeaten run. They've won every game in qualifying for the first time ever. They're, they're very attacking. They're, they're very exciting going forward with a lot of depth in midfield. Whereas at the back, they're still persisting with Chiellini, with Benucci. You know, there's a clear lack of pace there. Yeah, I just, I, I think it, this, this could be a really exciting tournament for it, really. I do think they look good. Yeah, as you say, they've done really well under Mancini. I think an issue for them could be in midfield. Um, I think they've got a little bit of a lack of physicality in there in general. Which I think if you look at the top teams at the moment and probably over the last five or ten years, you really need to have a bit of strength, uh, a bit of pace in midfield, which they've got the technical quality for sure. But whether they have that physicality, I'm not sure. Uh, in particular, if you look at Marco Verratti's injuries for the first couple of games as well, um, so that could leave them a little bit short in that space. But yeah, they, they have definitely played well uh, under Mancini. I think they'll be quite strong. I think a lot depends as well on, on Thierry Mobile up front. Um, obviously, we know his goal-scoring record is immense over the last few years, but perhaps hasn't been able to replicate that on the very biggest stage. If you look at the Champions League, his move to Dortmund, for instance, perhaps he's just really shown that in Serie A. If he can translate that to the Euros, that would obviously be a big boost for Italy. Um, so I think a lot might depend on that. But yeah, I think it can certainly be relied on to play some great football at least. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to see Federico Chiesa. Uh, of the bit I've seen of him in Serie A this year, in a poor, poor season for Juve, he was like their main, their main player. Other than Ronaldo, obviously, he he always looked like he was on the ball, and he's only 23 years old, so it'll be interesting to see what he does. Yeah, Verratti injured, like you say, so that'll have an impact in the midfield. Your favourite player, Jorginho, will, will <laughs> obviously play a big part for them. Um, so we'll see what he can do. Uh, but yeah, I, I think those the, the centre back pairing of Chiellini and Benucci is very vulnerable if you've got if you've got teams that ha- have a, have a pacey front man. We'll uh, keep going with that Friday night game. So they're playing against Turkey. Now these are these are fancied by a lot of people as a bit of a dark horse. They have uh, Yilmaz leading the line, 35 years old now, 18 goals this season for him for Lille and a league title, league one title. So he's had a great year. Um, they've got Yukushlu, the, the strong defensive midfielder from West Brom in midfield. They've got Soyuncu of Leicester City at the back. Uh, they battered the Netherlands very recently, scored a lot of goals, but then they also let a lot in. They drew with Latvia 3-3 recently too. So it will be interesting to see how they do. But yeah, a lot a lot of people are rating this Turkey team. Yeah, I think you mentioned it in a few recently, but I think if you look at their defensive record in the qualifiers, uh, it's excellent. And they took four points of France as well, uh, which I think is you know, nothing to sniff at too. Important to note, they've got um, Senor Kunis as well. who got them to third place in the 2002 World Cup. Um, so he's obviously experienced getting the best out of the, the Turkey team at the highest level. Um, they've got great options at the back, as you said. So in Jude Demiral as well, the, the Juventus centre-back, uh, as well as good options kind of in the centre attack and midfield. They're generally quite a young team, apart from, I guess, the likes of Borough Kielmaz. Um, they should be pretty fresh. Um, I feel like fatigue might be a important factor in this tournament. They seem like they should be one of the fresher sides and be able to press quite well. Yeah, I think I'm going to add my voice to sort of the chorus, saying it's a dark horse. I really think they'll do well. Uh, I guess yeah, I think I'll come out and say I think they will top this group ahead of Italy. Um, wow, wow! I think they will they will uh, most likely beat Italy in that first game and have enough to uh, to top the group. But I think that'll be a fascinating showdown either way. Yeah, that first game as well it, it can be massive, can't it, for the rest of the tournament? I mean, if it was down to a tournament of kits, I do think Turkey's would Turkey would be making the final because I do <laughs> I, I do love what they've got. Elsewhere in that group, we have Switzerland. Um, now Switzerland are one of them teams that seem to make every major tournament fo- uh, finals but then don't do too much more than that they haven't won a knockout game at an international tournament since 1938 where it doesn't bode very well for them but yeah they'll be there they'll be there again obviously Shakiri is a big player for them he's a he's a Gareth Bale type player playing much better for his country than he does for his club really uh, on the fringes at Liverpool these days, obviously, but he'll be looking to play a big part. Uh, they've got Seferovic up front. Uh, he plays his club football 
for Benfica. He's had a really good season. Scored 26 goals in 48 games. Uh, Xhaka will be there, obviously, in the midfield, breaking things up. Another player probably not quite as appreciated in this country as he is back home. So, yeah, Switzerland, what do you make of them? Uh, yeah, I think I think they'll make it through to the last 16 as one of the best third-place teams because they always seem to make it through to the last 16 and then, as you say, ne- never able to win a game uh, in the knockout rounds. I think they'll have just enough to kind of scrape through in that regard. Um, they've got an experienced manager. Um, they've got, you know, a score of players who do play in general in kind of pretty high level, a lot of experience uh, in terms of being part of the squad as well. I think they've got quite a settled team in general um, and they can kind of switch to, to having sort of free at the back. I think they also have a little bit of fluidity there as well. I think the big issue for them is, I guess, alluding to Shakiri, is that a lot of their important players haven't really played much this season um, and perhaps a sort of second choice at their clubs, even as they kind of are, you know, pretty important players for Switzerland. Um, I think that could affect them a little bit in terms of sharpness. And yeah, I don't think they really have enough to to threaten Italy or Turkey too much. Uh, as I say, though, I think they will probably scrape it through to the, to the next round. And then probably fail to win that game. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Ending that group, we have Wales, uh, managed by Rob Page, after what is happening with Ryan Giggs at the minute. They're obviously coming off the back of the tournament five years ago when they had a, had a crazy tournament and got to the semi-finals, beating Belgium along the way, thanks to Robson Carney, uh, close turn in the box. Uh, sadly, Robson Carney won't be there this time. He's not been picked. No one's really expecting anything from Wales this time. Bale will be there. Ramsey will be there. Ramsey's been playing false nine for them lately. They've sort of been switching between playing a false nine with him or Dan James or choosing Kiefer Moore, the big uh, centre forward from Cardiff. It'll be interesting to see how they do, but I'm not rating Wales' chances very highly. I think they'll be, be coming bottom of that group. What do you think? Yeah, um, at risk of... um. Again, offending our home country's listeners from, from Wales and Scotland. Um, I don't see Wales doing too much here. I mean, you never know with Gareth Bale and the team and still got, you know, something about him, which which can be just that, that wild card element. But I think they look a little bit weaker than in 2016, at least in terms of the starting 11, perhaps a little bit more depth. Um, but I think in terms of if you look at the other teams in that, uh, in that group, and they just have more quality in all areas of the pitch. I think the problem with Wales is they're quite strong in certain areas, but in other areas you would say there are kind of big holes or big weaknesses in there. So, yeah, I think they'll struggle to, to do too much, to be honest. I think they'll be coming home early, the poor old Welsh boys. Finland, let's see that native dance. Smile more. Work that pelvis. No, too much smile. Sit down. Next group. And that is Group B. So this is the group that contains Belgium, Russia, Finland, Denmark. Uh, let's start with Denmark. These are another team that are fancied by a lot of people. Uh, I, uh, you know, I respect I respect that. Not not dissing anything <laughs> like that, but I I struggle really to see where where all this rating is coming from. Um, what what do you think? Do you think do you think they're going to be good? I think. I like some of their uh, elements of their team. I really, um, I really like the solidity at the back. I think they've got a really experienced defence in general. They tend to alternate between three and four. They've got um, obviously Kasper Schmeichel in goal, really experienced keeper. I mean, we won't talk about it, uh, the, the mistake um, <laughs> that we mentioned in, in one of the previous pods. But a, apart from that, I mean, they've got Delaney and Hoiberg in, in front of that as well. So that really means... You know, a great platform for them to build on, one that a lot of teams would envy, even to be honest, in their group of Belgium. You'd probably say that the Danish back four and those holding midfields are probably stronger defensively. But I feel like apart from Ericsson, I have really struggled to see where the attacking inspiration is going to come from in that team. I mean, you're probably talking about Martin Braithwaite, who, you know, he's had the odd kind of success at Barcelona and obviously a great kind of fairy tale story for him almost. But, I mean, he hasn't consistently scored for them, consistently even played for them, really, this season. 
I'm just not seeing really who else is bringing goals, uh, creativity, assists in that team. Uh, I think they'll be solid, and I think they'll have enough to get out of the group. And maybe, you know, you never know. I mean, Portugal, for instance, kind of in 2016, often uninspiring. Kind of, you can win games through set pieces. You can win games through penalty shootouts. Maybe you can see Denmark going far. We're just having that defensive solidity. Um, but I feel like a lot of teams in this tournament who are stronger going forward than them. And I think that could be their downfall. Yeah, I, I, I respect that. The spine is is good in terms of Schmeichel. Christensen, he had a really good end of the season, obviously played really well in the Champions League final. Hoiberg, uh, Delaney, and then, yeah, Eriksson, who I think he's, he's sort of coming from the cold at Inter after appearing like he was he was going to be leaving. Um, but yeah, further forward than that, you can't really see where the goal is coming from. They have Paulson as well, but... I'm, you know, I'm not convinced that he's going to bag a load of goals either. But they may benefit from the fact that the group is reasonably easy. We'll talk about Finland next. Now, this is their first ever international tournament. You're going to have to let me wax lyrically <laughs> about Timu Puki. Uh, he's had another great season: 26 goals in 42 games, another championship winners' medal. He chases after every ball. He's a great finisher. Pardon the pun. He's going to be the main man. Uh, player for player, this is probably one of the weakest squads, Finland squad. They're another team that will be happy to be there. A lot of fans not expecting very much. But I, I think because of the group, you know, I, I don't know. You don't, you don't know what might happen. Puki was injured towards the end of, end of the season, so... We'll see how fit he is. I think he he only came on in uh, in one of the warm up games, so he hasn't played a lot of football lately. But yeah, it'll be it'll be a fun ride for Finland, won't it? Yeah, I mean, in terms of teams, I want to do well. I think it's probably Finland and North Macedonia in particular, sort of that almost fairy tale underdog. Um, they're really unfancied, but they could definitely spring a surprise. I think. Obviously, you know, Timu Puki, gotta love him. They've got um, quite a cohesive squad of players as well, because I think, you know, I was reading, I can't claim to be an expert on Finnish football, um, but in terms of their, their current manager, he led um, their team in the 2009 under-21 Euros, and it's quite a few players who came from that squad. Um, so it seems like they really have a cohesive bond, and everything that comes out of their camp seems to suggest that they do really have that strong chemistry. They're quite sort of an organised team. They're really flexible that they can play either three or four at the back. Um, and yeah, I mean, they've got the likes, for example, of Glenn Kamara in midfield for Rangers, who's had a great season. They do have some good players there. I don't think, you know, you would say they have the quality to perhaps threaten the latter rounds. But as you say, in that group, they can absolutely be competitive. And yeah, I hope I really hope they, uh, they do well. Um, hopefully, you know, at least get a win. Um, a very rare tournament appearance for them. Move on to Belgium next. Now, these are going to be the red-hot favourites in Group B. Lukaku, the, he's just had an amazing season for Inter Milan, a massive reason why they won the title. Hazard has had a couple of poor years, like, like we know, like we've said. De Bruyne is just coming back from uh, eye socket surgery he had after that collision in the Champions League final, which sounds absolutely horrific. But he is going to be fit for the Euros, so that'll be a massive plus point for them. My worry for Belgium is probably at the back, uh, a bit like Italy, like very like centre backs that are ageing, like Aldevira, Aldevatongan, Vermalen. I think Vermalen's now playing in Japan. Uh, is he going to be playing a lot? I I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah, a bit like Italy, like quite exciting going forward, but could be could be getting run rings around at the back. Yeah, my feeling is they'll have enough to top the group, but then. Do fear for them a little bit against the really good sides in the tournament. Obviously, I mean, themselves, they have world-class players. They say Lukaku, De Bruyne in particular. Hazard's always been such a key player for them, though, so it might be an issue for them. He hasn't been uh, playing as much and hasn't been playing that well. I think Axel Witzel could be a problem for them, too. He's really struggling to be fit for the tournament. Um, he's always been kind of a really key player. There's not many players who can do what he can in terms of breaking up play and also kind of looking forward bit as well and he's, he's kind of really a good well-rounded player um, they do have other players like Dundonka or Tielemans who would come in but they had a Jinu Duke sort of one part of his role or he can do basically you know both parts in terms of defensive and attacking side 
And as you say, the centre-backs could really be a problem, uh, especially if you're play, playing at sides for a lot of pace. And I think that could start to cause them some real issues. And to be honest, I'm going to say uh, I'm not convinced by Roberto Martinez. I, I really don't think he's a top-level manager. Um, I think he's been slightly carried by the strength of his squad in his time as Belgium coach. I just don't see how they have a path really to the final to win it with those issues at the back and with Martinez in charge. Um, I do think they'll top the group, but um, I'm not sure how much further than that they'll go. Yeah, it was an interesting choice when they put him in charge. I don't. I think we'd seen a lot of him in England at, at, Wig, at Wigan, at Everton, at Swansea. And yeah, it was it was very left field for them to choose in. But not all doom and gloom. Belgium are still first in the FIFA World Rankings. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there, there is something there. But countering that, I got Belgium in the sweepstake. So <laughs> they definitely won't be winning. Last team in Group B, Russia. They obviously hosted the World Cup in 2018. Weren't fancied at all. People were, within Russia were saying this could be like the most embarrassing thing, most embarrassing host ever not getting a point, but they ended up making it to the quarterfinals, beating Spain on penalties. They still rely heavily on Zuba, the big centre-forward. He's getting on a bit now into his early to mid-30s. In terms of selection, there's no Akin Fiv, the, the CSK Moscow goalkeeper, which for people that don't watch Russian football like us, I feel like that jumps out at you, like, wow, what mm. are they doing? And... Uh, and, and Yuri Zirkov has been included, the ex-Chelsea player, and he is 37. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I think after the World Cup, they had a few key players retire too. I think, like said, Sergei Ignashevich and um, others who are kind of almost totem poles of their side have been there for a long, long time, kind of gone as well. From, from what we can tell, their football seems to be quite limited, as you say, the likes of items you brought up front are essentially expected to to knock on balls and really kind of play off of them. Yeah, I think that they've got some quality in midfield, but I just don't see much happening from their team. I wouldn't be surprised if Finland uh, came above them in the group. I'm really not seeing much from this Russia team. Um, though, as, as you say, they were unfancied for the last uh, tournament, so, so maybe they'll spring a surprise. There's obviously some massive historical context there if, if Finland managed to finish above Russia as well, of course. It's not just England, uh, Scotland, that is a big deal, but we also have Finland, Russia. So that will be a very interesting game. Oh, yeah. So good. Oh, that explains his mysterious trip to Holland. Group C. The Dutch, interesting, interesting proposition. De Boer is their manager. He says he thinks they're good enough to make it to the semi-final. Uh, looking at what the bookies are saying, they have them down as eight favourite to win. So not really fancied very highly. De Boer himself, I feel like talking about Martinez, sort of not really being it. I feel like De Boer is, really needs to prove his worth after Ever since he left Ajax, he's been very poor at Inter Milan, at Crystal Palace, at Atlanta United in, in the States as well. I don't think he was very well received there. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. Uh, Van Dijk is obviously injured still. He won't be taking part. But De Litt and De Vrij uh, have quite a, a formidable partnership at the back. From what I've read, a lot of people are saying this is like a very un-Dutch Dutch team. They don't have any flying wingers. Uh, people like Robin from the past. It's a nice, nice group for the Dutch, but I don't think they'll be going much further than that. What do you think? I actually quite fancy the Dutch. Maybe a little bit, being a little bit contrarian here, but I'm very surprised that they're kind of eight favourites to win. Because if you look at the strength of their squad, I mean, point past, I don't think Frank de Boer is that great a manager either, to be honest. And I think I'd really fancy them if they had, say, if Ronald Koeman in charge or the likes of in the past, the advocate, Gus Hedink, um, Louis Van House, someone of that nature. But I do think their spine is really strong, uh, which you can't necessarily say for a, a ton of teams in the tournament. And it's not the case where these players are aging either. You've got the late uh, Frankie de Jong, you've got Jeannie Wijnaldum, you've got Memphis Depay, uh, all good, good seasons and most importantly have great form for the national team as well. You've got that throughout the team. 
got a lot of technical quality, but you also have physicality. I really like their flexibility as well. They've got quite a few options to be able to switch things up. Perhaps they lack, you could say, the world-class striker, but actually, for example, about Beg Horst is someone who's come in. He's got a lot of goals this season. And he can offer a different option as well. Um, and Memphis Depay himself has been has been excellent. Has proven he can be a goal scorer in his national level too. Um, I do think they'll miss Van Dijk. Obviously, it looks like Delhi Blind is lacking a bit of fitness as well, which could affect him at the back. But I actually think they'll do uh, significantly better than people think. I think they'll top this group, and I, I could see them getting to the semi-finals. To be honest, I think the uh, the draw opens up quite well for them too. Uh, if you look at, especially, I think if they top the group. They might potentially avoid a couple of the tougher sides until a bit later in the tournament. Even putting my doubts about Frank the Borough side, I think um, actually could be a good tournament for the Netherlands. Yeah, they've got a lot of uh, young, exciting players, to be fair. Um, Ryan Gravenberch is someone that's been touted really highly. And also, there is the chance that Krull could be number one with <laughs> Sillison. I think Sillison can get in COVID pretty recently. I'm not sure how he's uh, whether he's recovered or how long it's been, but there was a bit of talk that Timmy Krull might be might be the number one choice. But either way, if they ever if they go to penalties in the in the knockout stage, yeah, I got to bring him on. <laughs> I think we might see him. Yeah. Elsewhere in Group C, Ukraine, Ukraine. I think there's a few people that think these are these are going to do all right this summer. Um, Sevchenko is the manager now Zinchenko of Man City he plays in centre mid for them they've got Atalanta's Malinowski in the midfield as well, he's a big target for Chelsea this summer apparently, uh, his last 10 Serie A games, he registered either a goal or an assist in each game which, pretty pretty nice stats there, people like this Ukraine team and, and they should get through shouldn't they yeah, I think what I saw, and I hadn't actually realised this before, to be honest, um, but they topped the qualifying group ahead of Portugal, um, which is wow. yeah, a pretty impressive achievement. Um, looks like Andrei Shevchenko, you know, obviously a legend himself um, as a Ukraine player, has done really well in terms of motivating their team. Um, you can perhaps say they lack quality throughout the pitch, but certainly, as you say, in central midfield, they're really strong. Um, probably up there in terms of, I think, adding to Zinchenko and Malinovsky, as you mentioned, Stepanenko is a really solid player for Shakhtar. So that'll be a great midfield free for them. Perhaps a little bit lacking up front in terms of established options. Obviously, no one quite of a of Shevchenko's ilk. But yeah, as you say, I think they'll have enough quality to get through there. And it'll be quite interesting to see how they play. I think they'll be one of the more interesting sides to watch the tournament. And in general, I think Group C be a, a very fun watch because um, I think it was probably the group that I found hardest to predict kind of going through it because I feel especially between sort of Austria North Macedonia and Ukraine and probably a lot of different competing opinions um, and even for the Netherlands themselves as, as we've mentioned I mean doubts over whether they can perform as highly as they have in the past uh, so I think this group could be the most open in some ways uh, it could be a really fun group yeah I actually had I had the BBC podcast on a couple of days ago and Pat Nevin was describing uh, this as the group of dearth <laughs> uh, compared to the group of death. So he wasn't rating it very highly in terms of quality, but that might make it uh, good as a contest. Um, That's a little bit unfair. Yeah, I think they are good teams, but I think harder to predict because I think they all have quality. But the question is, they all seem to have at least one efficiency or doubt, in, in, I guess, which um, could lead to them being kind of underrated. But They've also all got kind of strong suits, I think. Yeah, well, we saw, we'll talk about Austria. We saw Austria play against England last week. They they looked a solid team. They looked a team that was very well organised, weren't very easy to break down. But I think like a lot of teams, like a lot of teams we've discussed, like they will struggle to score goals. They've got they've got a big guy up front called Sasa Kalajic. Uh, I think he's six foot seven. Um <laughs> So they'll be playing a few balls up to him, I think. Uh, Sabitzer uh, in the midfield, he's the Leipzig guy with the ponytail. He, he he played quite well against England, I thought. They'll struggle to score goals. David Alaba, there'll be a lot on him to get further forward. I don't think he'll be playing in his usual uh, defensive role. I think they'll be playing him in the midfield at least. Um, so yeah, Aust- Austria have got a chance to get through. I think if you look at it's strange because I think they have some great established talent. Actually, if you look at their team, 
they had a decent qualifying run as well. They've got players who have a lot of experience, particularly in the Bundesliga. You know, like, say, for example, Julian Baumgartner. And they have a lot of players who are, say, at least kind of top half of the table or above kind of level, um, a good size, you know, Bundesliga, Premier League, elsewhere. But they, they failed to sort of convince in general, I would say. And I think apparently, um, according to some, some of the local reporters there, their coach's style is perceived as being quite boring. Um, and it seems like they got for their group, you know, with relative ease, but without being able to threaten any of the quality sides, really kind of push on and just basically, they, they did what they had to do. But it doesn't seem like they have that extra level to be able to match uh, the top teams in Europe. Uh, for that reason, I actually think they might end up bottom of this group. So this might be wishful thinking in terms of, I do really want North Macedonia to do well. But I think that Austria could just end up almost playing it a bit too safe, um, a bit too boring, not quite having that extra level. And yeah, not really being able to, to take the game to the other teams and perhaps ending up um, with a, a bit of a disappointing performance uh, and finishing fourth. But yeah, I guess we'll see how that turns out. As I say, I, I think I found this group very tough to predict in general. We better have a word on North Macedonia then. Let's see how many words we can get out. Uh this is obviously historic for them, their first finals. They brought out a new kit for this tournament. I don't know if you saw this, but it it was a darker shade of red, more like a Portugal shirt. And within okay. within about a day, they actually had to go back on that. And and they're they're wearing their <laughs> yeah, they're wearing their usual sort of normal red with with the, the sort of sun shining out of the badge. I think yeah, they had to backtrack on the kit, which was uh, quite funny. But they will be a very interesting proposition. They they beat Germany away in a qualifier in March this year. Um, obviously, the 900-year-old Goran Pandev is still up front for them. Alioski as well, I think he's the other name that a lot of us will be uh, accustomed to, the, the Leeds United wing-back come winger. He's, he's very versatile. He's a good player. But yeah, they they could spring a surprise, you know. I think I think like you say, if Austria s- sort of go out there really defensive, then who's to say this Macedonia team could do something? Yeah, I think um, definitely their midfield, including their wingers, is, is a really strong part of the team. They've got actually a lot of technical quality there. Obviously, in addition to Alioski and Pandev, who you mentioned, they've got um, Elif Elmas, who's um, an Napoli player. He's a big talent, and I think, to, to do quite big things as well. And Enes Bardi, who plays for Levante, is another player that I think apparently he had a positive COVID test recently, so might miss the first game. But I think definitely that area I'll look to maximise. I think they generally tend to play five across midfield and then the two up front. So they really try to play to their strengths. Um, I think that probably will make them a bit vulnerable at the back. To be honest, there's not any really kind of standout players that they have in in goal or at the back um, who can help them out there. Hopefully that means they kind of go out and play quite attacking football and just really aim to, to outscore the opposition. Yeah, it'd just be really fun to see them. And I think sort of an extra factor for them is I think they're playing all of their games in Romania. And I think their coach was saying they essentially expected that all the Romanian fans would be backing them and that they should have some supporters to be able to travel there as well. So that might give them a little bit of a boost uh, in addition to obviously being such a huge success for them to qualify in the first place. I think that should make them really fired up for this. So I could definitely see them kind of, you know, pressing really well, uh, putting everything into it uh, and hopefully showing some some good quality as well. Yeah, they'll definitely be one of the neutrals' favourites, I think. I can I can see that already. Fallen, tell us about your nation's achievements. Well, uh, I heard they sent a rocket to the sun once at night. And there was that submarine with a screen door. Oh, no, 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 no. Young man, you need to do some serious boning. Group E. This is Sweden, Poland, Slovakia, Spain. Uh, this is the group that I actually had tickets to a game to. So that is, this is very sad to have to cover this from home and not from a boozy weekend in Dublin. We'll start with Sweden. Zlatan announced his return uh, to the national side only to then get injured and end up missing the tournament, sadly. So they won't be with him, but they did do well in, in qualifying without him. So maybe it isn't the end of the world. It will be up to uh, Alexander Izak to see whether he can step up to the plate. 
I think Sweden will be all right. They've they've got several players that we know. Obviously, Lindelof playing for Man United. Mikael Lustig uh, was obviously a Celtic player for years. Pontus Janssen, Leeds and Brentford. I, I think they'll be quite solid at the back. Seb Larsson's gotten in the team. Uh, he's 36. This, this is these Euros are just quite entertaining, really, to see all these sort of old, aging Premier League, ex Premier League players somehow still deemed good enough to play on this sort of stage. And another interesting pick, Jordan Larson's got in, uh, son of Henrik Larson. Uh, so I've never seen, I've not seen him play before. So it'll be interesting to see if he's if he's as anywhere near as good as his dad was. Yeah, well, that would be nice for them if he was. Um... No, interesting. I think the point about Ibrahimovic as well. So I saw a piece, I remember, I think it was a year or two back, um, that showed that actually Sweden's record without Ibrahimovic is significantly better than with him in the team. I think especially in um, in competitive fixtures. Um, and I think generally the focus of the coach, uh, Anderson, has been to build a really harmonious team, a really settled and well-organised team. And, you know, among Ibrahimovic's many qualities is not really being a team player, uh, to be honest. So I think in some ways it might be a little bit of a blessing for them to to not have him in the team and disrupt that. I think they've looked pretty good in recent tournaments, actually. They've looked generally very well organised. Obviously, they're not going to have the quality of the top sides to a certain extent. They do have some quality in there. I think a big issue for them, though, is um, Kulosevsky, who's had a great season for Juventus. He's just tested positive for covid it's a bit of a spanner in the works for them, at least for the first game. But I think in general, their players have been in pretty good form. If you look at their league seasons, they have quite disciplined team spirit, as I say. And yeah, I definitely see them getting through the group. And I think they're one of those teams who are probably that they'll level beyond Switzerland in terms of, you mentioned Switzerland, don't tend to do well in knockout stages. I think Sweden tend to at least they'll get past the last 16 and then you know, maybe they don't have enough to get past the quarterfinals or so. Um, but they'll definitely be in and around there. I think, um, yeah, they've got enough quality to do so for sure. Yeah, they had a fairly decent World Cup as well last time, uh, beaten by England in the quarters. Uh, so they'll be hoping to build on that or do something similar. Elsewhere in that group, we have Poland. So Poland have got Paolo Souza in charge, uh, the ex Swansea City manager, I want to say. Um, but he's now in charge of the Polish national team. For them, they've obviously got Lewandowski up front. He is a world-class talent. I guess it just depends whether Poland will be able to create enough chances for him to score, really. Yeah, um, so I was reading, I guess, a little bit of what they might do tactically. It seems that they've tried to play to up top quite a bit to get the most out of Lewandowski. I mean, naturally, you want to do so. Uh, he was in good scoring form in the qualifiers, as he always is, really. Um, he has a great scoring record for Poland, as he does for obviously at a club level. But I think now they're missing uh, Arcadius Milik, uh, the Napoli striker. So that could be a big issue for them. He's traditionally kind of formed a partnership up top with Lewandowski, you know, a good player in his own right. I think that will be a really big loss for them, actually. So I struggle to see who else is going to play up top with him. Maybe they'll have to change the shape a little bit. I mean, they've still got some quality. The likes of, for example, Piotr Zielinski, uh, getting another Napoli player uh, in midfield. Um, but some of their players as well getting on a bit. Camel uh, Glick has been a rock for them at the back in general. You've got Kuchowiak, um, who's you know played for the CF Sevilla, PSG, West Brom in the past. He's always been a fixture in that team. He's getting on a bit. I'm not sure it's their tournament, to be honest, uh, which is a real shame for Lewandowski because, you know, he's, he's in the form of his life. Uh, he scored over 40 goals this season in the Bundesliga, you know, broken Gerd Muller's record, as we discussed in the last pod. But I don't see how they're going to give him that service and get the most out of him. And, you know, even if he does bag a few goals, I think they're going to concede quite a few as well. So I think at most they're going to get it through the group, but I don't see them going much further, to be honest. Yeah, not just Milik, but they're also missing Piantek as well, the other uh, centre-forward. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know who will be that foil. Like you say, Zielinski is very talented, but he obviously plays a bit deeper than that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Poland do. They have selected uh, Semeshwa Plaheta uh, from Norwich. So, hopefully he gets a run out. He's one of the quickest... He's meant to have been one of the quickest players 
in the Polish league, in the championship, I think last year even. Uh, he didn't play very much for Norwich, but yeah, okay. he's, mm. he's all he's all about pace. So look at look out for him next in that group. We'll we'll have a look at Slovakia. Now Slovakia are there because they conquered the Republic of Ireland on penalties back in October in the final in the playoff for this. Obviously, with Slovakia, the main man is always going to be Hamsik Marek Hamsik. Uh, obviously, Napoli legend. Uh, Mohican legend. He he's most recently been playing in Sweden for Gothenburg, but he's actually just got himself a move to Trabzonspor. Uh, so he'll be heading to Turkey after the tournament. He missed the World Cup qualifiers recently, and and Slovakia obviously struggled without him playing. Slovakia, another team where I wouldn't say we know much about their squad. Um, it'll it'll be interesting to to sort of see what they do. Yeah, I guess just uh, speak fondly of Marek Hamzik as well, because um, I'm actually managing IFK Godsberg on, on FM at the moment, and he's he's doing absolute bits in the Al-Svenskan, so um, shout out to him for, for that <laughs> performance. But no, yeah, in general, Lobotka's the other key player for them in midfield. Last night, Lobotka, he's also playing in, um, in Serie A, um, actually at Napoli as well. Um, and I think they have a couple of other players that likes of Palmer, Sassuolo as well. Um, so they've got a little bit of that Serie A tie-in too. Milan, Milan Scrinio as well, obviously. Yeah, right? yeah he's, absolutely. He's, he's one of their star players. He's, he's consistently rated as one of the best centre-backs in the world, isn't he? Yeah, no, he's had a great season for Inter as well as they won the league. I think apart from that, though, if you look at the defence, it's not looking the strongest, to be honest. Um, I think in general, as we said, they have quality in midfield, maybe in the wide areas. If you look at up front and centre back, and I think we've we've probably said this for quite a few sides in the tournament, maybe it's a sign of where football is at, at the moment in terms of the quality of players who are producing different areas. Um, I feel like centre back and striker is always an issue. I think of, for the majority of sides in this tournament, to be honest, they would be looking for an upgrade in that area if they could. Again, for Slovakia, I think they'll find this group quite tough. I think probably. Yeah, I think Poland, Spain and Sweden will probably have enough quality to counter them in general. I think obviously Hamzik is key, but getting on a little bit, perhaps not having played at the top level for a little while as well, might affect him. Yeah, I think um, they've obviously got a chance, but um, I think it will be tough for them. I can see them coming back to the group, to be honest. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And we'll finish with the main course in that group, which is, of course, Spain. Their squad's currently in isolation after Sergio Busquets tested positive for COVID this week. Interestingly, they've picked 24 players instead of the 26 that is allowed. Uh, so I can't imagine how gutted people like Sergio Ramos are or Iago Aspas to have been left out for nobody, for you know an empty, an empty spot. That must be pretty gutting for them. Laporte will be going after he's confirmed his move from being French to being Spanish. Yeah, Moreno up top. I think for me, he should be starting ahead of Morata. I think he's had a great year. We we saw how good he was in that Europa League final. This is a squad that is sort of in transition. I think it's a very young squad. This is this is not really their chance to win the tournament. I wouldn't say. I think this is them sort of blooding a few players together. And maybe 2022, 2024 Euro, this will be a strong team. Yeah, again, with the uh, same as with the Netherlands, I think people do underrate this team a little bit. There's obviously a lot of upheaval in the squad, as you mentioned, but the continued positive test results. I think a Diego Llorente uh, of Leeds just tested positive recently as well. They had the isolation going on. And no Real Madrid players, a bit controversial. If you look at the actual talent in the squad, I would argue that potentially the most technically gifted side in Europe. Um, they really have a lot of technical quality. If you look at Thiago Alcantara, look at, for example, Mikel Oriasabal from, from Real Sociedad, even yeah, Gerard Moreno up front or something like that, they really have so much technical quality. And I think that really speaks to La Liga being probably the strongest technical league in the world as well. And I think, you know, if they can get the right system, I mean, Luis Enrique has shown he can perform with a 4-3-3 as well. I would say he's not 
you know, necessarily a top level manager. But, I mean, he's won the highest honours with Barcelona. We have a settled system of a 4-3-3. He knows how to play that system. He knows how to get the best out of that technically minded uh, group of players. So I actually think they could, um, again, outperform expectations. They've got a lot of quality in that team. It's a very young team, as you say. I don't see why there's a reason why they couldn't push for the tournament, even if, you know, it's a little bit of a betting in period. But at the same time, a lot of the teams in the tournament have their own issues. And I think, yeah, as I say, I think really that technical quality is something to be envied by, by pretty much any other side in Europe. My one issue is whether they have that quality up front. Because they've got, as you say, other choices, Gerard Moreno or Morata. Uh, Morata's sometimes seen as a big game player. He has done it in some, for example, the Champions League. He has scored in the Champions League final. Moreno's got the goals this season in terms of, of day-to-day. Whether either of them are good enough to, to spearhead a, uh, a winning side. They're not quite David Villa or Fernando Torres. But again, I mean, I still think they have enough quality to win the tournament, to be honest. Hello? Itchy and scratchy land, open for business. Who are you to resist it, huh? Come on, my last paycheck bounced. My children need wine. I hope we still have you with us because we're now about <laughs> to talk about the final group, which is this group of death, France, Germany, Portugal, Hungary, the magic Magyars, France. They've called up Karim Benzema now. Luis, is this a genius move by Deschamps managed, trying to embed this star striker into their team after a good season in Spain? Or is this a desperate move as they really have no other option in terms of strikers? Well, I saw the other day um, they had the friendly where uh, Benzema came off and then Giroud got two goals off the bench. Then, so that was interesting to see. Um, definitely, you can't count out Livia Giroud as an influence in that team. Obviously, despite his uh, his lack of goals in the World Cup win, he was such an influence in terms of his hold-up play and everything. The thing is, Benzema can do what Giroud does in terms of that hold-up play, as well as being a little bit more mobile and dynamic. So, yeah, in the purely footballing terms, absolutely 100% the right call uh, from Deschamps. I guess the only question is whether that disrupts the squad a little bit because of Benzema's noted kind of off-field issues. To be honest, my suspicion is, and even as someone who doesn't particularly want France to win the tournament as, as almost favourites, I want to kind of say, also denigrate them and count them out, but um, I don't actually think Benzema will disrupt the squad very much. Um, I think it's quite so far in the past and the issue, I think it was kind of with a previous generation of players, which, to be honest, in general, really aren't around the squad anymore because Benzema himself was fairly young at the time compared to uh, the other kind of experienced players in the squad. I don't think it'll be a big issue for them. I think they'll, again, be very strong. Then in some ways, the, the team to beat, again, it's very difficult to see the weaknesses in their team. I don't think they'll win the tournament, uh, despite having said that. But, um, yeah, I very much don't see how they don't reach the, uh, the semi-finals at least. This has been played up, I think. I think people are desperate to see, like, a, a chink in the French armour and... Like Benzema has got this sort of disruptive past. We're talking about like a tournament when COVID's still going on, when it's going to be much more intense than like a normal um, tournament in terms of family not being allowed in, like the bubble being a bubble. Benzema, great quote. Uh, most people will have heard it by now, but Benzema calling Giroud a go-kart and calling himself a, a F1 car. You know, it's, it's all sort of tongue-in-cheek stuff, but... I guess if they really don't get on, that could have an impact on them. But as you say, I think it's it's hard to see. Their squad is probably the best squad on paper. I would only say that looking at French squads over, say, the last 20, 25 years, we see 1998, obviously very good. 2000, very good. 2002, terrible. 2006, pretty good. 2010, terrible. 2018, good. Like, it's... We sort of do a bad French performance. That's what I'm saying. Like we, it, and it could happen this time, you know. Well, we've seen as well um, teams who have what even a previous tournament kind of catastrophically going out in the group stages. Obviously, we had that with Spain, with Germany uh, in the last World Cup. So there's no guarantee that, that the French side kind of do well. I, I don't see them going out in the group stage, even with hard group. 
I think they're helped out there by the uh, the the sixteen teams going out, out going through out of a, of twenty four. But yeah, I think it's definitely not a procession to the final. I think there's definitely teams there who will give them a very good game at least. We'll move on to a team that I think will give them a good game, which is Portugal. Richard Jolly uh, stat from Twitter: If you put the ages of both of Portugal's centre backs together, they actually are older than Roy Hodgson. That is Jose Font and Pepe. Font is 37, Pepe's 38. Thought that was a very interesting stat. I really like this Portugal team. I think they've got so much quality. Um, obviously, Fernandes, Jota, Diaz, uh, Felix, Bernardo Silva, Cancelo. And that's all without speaking about CR7. Um, I was reading an article in 442 actually about Ronaldo and whether it is whether it's fair, you know, to say it quietly, but maybe Portugal are actually better when they don't pick Ronaldo. Um, I think it's a it's a bit of a null and void argument because the manager Santos absolutely loves him. Like I think mm-hmm. he's he's like a son to him. So I mean Ronaldo will be playing, but um but yeah, like what do you think about that? Like do you think do you think he not almost in that Ibrahimovic way, you know, like everything is has to be through Ronaldo or or you know, a bit like with Sweden and, and Zlatan, like do you think there is an argument there to be made that they would be better without Ronaldo playing? No, I definitely get the logic behind it. Um, I think it's... I'd be less inclined to agree with it than for the Sweden example. I think Ronaldo's generally a little bit more well-rounded than people give him credit for. I mean, obviously, he's one of the best players probably ever. Um, I think he's at a high level in Ibrahim, which we can almost tolerate uh, some of his foibles to a greater extent and I think he's probably a better team player than he's given credit for as well I think for example if you see him on the bench uh, during the Euros matches uh, last tournament when he wasn't available he generally really seemed to be invested in, in the team and what his uh, kind of teammates were doing to win the tournament yeah I think he's actually a, a better team player than he's given credit for sometimes um, despite his obviously you know, immense individual quality and you know naturally he's going to be a bit selfish because I think every great attacking player is selfish to a certain extent but no I think as you say they have an excellent squad it's better than 2016 um, they have more quality they have players in better form they have experienced manager and a record of winning it yeah I think there's, there's very few weaknesses in the team as you say with Font and Pepe uh, we can see if Ruben Diaz starts though because obviously uh, off the back of such a great season for Manchester City, I'd be slightly amazed if he doesn't make it in there ahead of Jose Font. Um, yeah, he has to. Surely, surely he has to play. But yeah, I think it, it's very hard to see a weakness in that team. I actually think that it's likely that they will top that group ahead of France. Um, I think France will be a team who improve as the tournament goes on. Uh, I think Portugal could potentially be great throughout it. I'm not sure exactly how it works in terms of the schedule, but maybe they'll meet again in the final. Um, but yeah, I think that'll be a great game either way. The other giant team in that group is, of course, Germany. We'll talk about the team a little bit. Um, so the Germans have brought back Thomas Muller and uh, Mats Hummels from the cold. They've got, I think they've got a lot of good players, but in similar positions, like they need to find a way to somehow get Kimmich Gundogan, Cruz, Goretzka, all in the same team. You know, it's a lot of centre mids to fit in. Does that mean putting Kimmich at fullback and and trying to squeeze them all into midfield instead? Um, they've also got like a some good wide forwards, people like Timo Werner, Leroy Sane, Serge Gnabry, but they haven't really got a main striker. But then you know they haven't really had a main striker not since they closer went. They they tried with like Mario Gomez and and you know he had a few good years but I don't think you know he he wasn't of that level so I I think it's it's like again like we've said on this pod like there just isn't that many like world class number nines anymore is there really Yeah I think it's just a shift of the game away from that kind of out and out striker especially kind of a goal scoring striker like Mario Gomez who you know quite frankly wasn't going to offer him that much else to the team. Um, he's not pressing forward, he's not someone with great pace or hold a play. He scores goals again, like mirrors our closer. So it kind of mirrors, you know, the general progression of football. Um, I think a bigger issue for them is their defense, to be honest. I think 
they kind of lack quality there, particularly if you talk about the great German fullbacks and centre-backs of the past, like Sir Philip Blom, for example. And you've got a situation where you might be having to play Emery Jan at left-back. He's not an actual left-back. I don't particularly rate him at all, even as a Liverpool fan, having come from Liverpool. I really don't think he's a starting left-back for a, a team which has ambitions to win a tournament. Um, I think they really have a lot of issues over their best shape and personnel and a lot of areas where you think you know, the quality is undoubtedly there, especially in the forward areas, uh, on the wings, for instance. But it just doesn't seem to fit together very well. And Joachim Lowe seems to be struggling to get the best out of them at the moment. Whether you say he's lost his touch or he's just having to deal with you know, some natural changes in the team. He's obviously got the knowledge that he's going to be replaced anyway by Hansi Flick. He's perhaps won what he can with this team. I struggle to see how they're going to have even just the motivation, but also the quality in all the areas that they expect and they need to be able to go all the way in this tournament. Yeah, I don't see it going too well for them, to be honest, uh, despite the undoubted quality that they still have. Yeah, I, I think that they'll, I think they'll get through, but I think they'll be one of the best third place teams. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how people like Muslera do, like the set off the turning down England to to Musiala, play for Germany. Yeah, yeah Musiala. It'd be interesting to see how he gets on. I think that they could be a team that benefits from sort of being under the radar. Like I wouldn't say many people would be really rating this team's chances, but they they should come third. They should get through, but whether they get much further than that, I guess we'll we'll see. And so we'll finish off with. Hungary, Hungary have just finished last night a friendly with the Republic of Ireland. Uh, they drew nil-nil. They, they couldn't beat them. They, they forced a couple of good saves out of the Liverpool and Ireland keeper, Kelleher. But they, they struggled. They huffed and puffed. They struggled. So I think there was nothing I saw in that that convinces me that they could do any better than, than bottom of this group of death. Yeah, I think, I think they'll just be making up the numbers, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, you hate to say that about a team, but um, they found it tough to qualify themselves. I think they got through for the playoffs. They do. I think the one advantage they have is they play their home games in Budapest during the tournament. Also, a huge loss for them is uh, Dominic Sabozlai. Apologies to anyone who, who knows if I pronounce that incorrectly. But obviously, he's been a big player this season. I think just confirmed his move to, to Red Bull Leipzig from Red Bull Salzburg. He was a player that a lot of you know, people in Europe were really taking a, a notice of the fact that he's not available for the tournament. He's undoubtedly the star player. Yeah, that makes it a bit of an ugly situation for them. It might be somewhere of a case for damage limitation in them for some of those games, to be honest. I think um, they'll really struggle. Although, placed in the group with Portugal again, they did have a heroic 3-3 with Portugal back in the group stage in 2016. That was um, a great game. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Of a, of a pretty average tournament, that was one of the standout games. Like, that was very enjoyable. So, if they put on a show like that, like, I'll be very happy to watch them. So, who do you see England going out to? I think England are going to go out to France in the first knockout round. Okay. So, you're saying either England or France won't top their group? Yeah. I'm saying England will, France will come second. Could see that? Yeah, I can see that. Fortunately <laughs> for England. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're going to have a France-Portugal final. That's what I'm saying. I think that's probably a pretty safe bet. Still got to put my uh, my betting schedule together for the tournament as well. <laughs> see what I put on. What would you say is kind of your expectations in terms of who's going to overperform, underperform, in terms of kind of getting through and, yeah, who might spring a surprise? I think... I think that German team is going to be is going to be like made for the first knockout round and then and then get knocked out. I rate Italy higher than I think you would. I think it'll be interesting to see how they get on. I think because they're just quite exciting going forward. Like they they might spring a surprise or two when they're not really fancied. And yeah, I guess I guess overall having Portugal as the winners, I think not many people think anyone's going to beat France. So. Yeah, I do actually agree, but I think Italy will get it to the quarters at least. Having looking at their route, even if they finish second, I think they play second in Group B, who is, you know, probably not that difficult a team to roll over. They're playing Russia, Denmark or Finland. 
you know, if you're looking at quarterfinals, I think probably the strongest eight teams in the tournament, I would say, is the likes of Turkey, Italy, Belgium, Netherlands, Spain, England, um, France and Portugal. But obviously, whether the stars are all lie in terms of the knockout rounds or the draws getting them there might be another question. Um, yeah, I think in terms of a dark horse, again, I'd probably say Turkey, but also probably just weird to talk about as dark horses, but I guess Netherlands and Spain are a little bit unfancied at the moment. But I really do think they have the quality to go all the way, even. I guess that's always kind of a good thing about the Euros in general. I would say there's probably eight teams in the competition who can realistically win the tournament, which is not necessarily something you can say for every competition. It's nice to see that, and I think... Yeah, hopefully, but I think for competitiveness as well, we don't see a France win. There's nothing against the French. It would be good to see someone else kind of step up and win it. Perhaps not France or, or Portugal, the previous winner, someone else entirely, um, especially if it's a new winner, such as Turkey. That'd be a lot of fun to see. Or, uh, or in England, there you say, a new winner. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. All kicks off Friday, Italy versus Turkey. I'm so excited. Thank you for coming on, Luis. Oh, thanks again, Tom. Loved it. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will be back very soon. Mm-hmm.